0: You are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Cindy Ingram. Cindy, a former art museum instructor, is the author of the nonfiction book, "Artist About Being Whole, a memoir. I'm here with Cindy Ingram, who is an artist, and the author of a memoir, Art is About Being a Whole. Cindy, welcome to the Art Author Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Yeah, I'm
1: Cindy Ingram, and I have run a business for the, about 10 years now, uh, helping art teachers connect with works of art. And uh, as I was working through um, sort of my philosophy of art and art education, running this business, I started to realize that my connection to art was really deep, and and that well, I always knew that, but that I started to realize that it was something more than just teaching and learning about art; that it was about sort of a deep personal connection. So I wrote a memoir about my connection to art, and what's unique about the memoir is that each chapter is uh, a work of art that I take and I interpret at the same time as telling my story. So you kind of learn my story, basically my my mental health journey from like shame and anxiety to a place of wholeness, while at the same time learning about a lot of different works of art um, along the way. So that just came out in um, October, 2023.
0: Now, without spoiling too much of your memoir, Art is About Being Whole, what is it about?
1: It is about, yeah, it's about my journey from, you know, when I when I was younger, mainly in my 20s, I was riddled with social anxiety and shame and perfectionism and body image issues and uh all the things, <laughs> all the things, and uh, undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and I just really thought I was broken beyond repair. And the book sort of chronicles how I got better, basically, how I, reve- how I um, figured out what was happening with me, how I healed, how I um, um, came to a place where I kind of accept myself as I am without trying to impress anybody else. Um, and so each chapter kind of dives into different um, themes about you know that journey. So there's there's body image, there's shame, there's um, burnout, there you know um, re- connecting with my inner child, you know healing from trauma, that sort of thing. What is
0: wholeness, and why is it important?
1: Yeah, wholeness is. It's basically the acceptance of who you are as you are today. It's that you're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. It's um, not trying to fit into places where you know you don't fit. And so you're not trying to um, be who you're not. So you feel it's really sort of an authentic, peaceful, content place um, with who you are as you are. Oh, and, and you said, why is it important? Because um, you know, I, I saw a, a, a Facebook meme, I think it was yesterday. It was, who was it? It was a quote by Jim Carrey, I think. And he was like, I want everyone to be rich and famous so they can learn that being rich and famous isn't the answer to all their problems. And, and I think that, you know, we see people, no matter who, where they're at in their life, like life in terms of how much money they have or what job they have or what, where they live. You know, I always thought my solutions to my problems were external. I thought, Oh, if I could get just get the next job, if I could just get a little bit more money, if I could just live in this little slightly ni- nicer house, then I would be okay. But you, your problems really follow you everywhere you go. So a wholeness is just being just um, happy where you're at now and accepting it. You can still have growth and you can still strive for more, but that you do feel kind of good in your skin now. And that, I think that's where um, the magic can happen. That's when you can be your most creative. That's when you're most happy. That's when you're most, most um, authentic and um, doing the best work in the world when you have that feeling.
0: Now, I hope I don't embarrass you with this question, but who designed the cover for your memoir?
1: <laughs> no, it's not embarrassing. I I did the artwork. Um, and so that the artwork that it's a it's a collage mixed media piece based off of, um, the painting girl before a mirror by Pablo Picasso. And in the book, the actual, the very first chapter, uh, that's the featured artwork. And I had a really powerful reaction to that artwork when I was, I was I don't remember, uh, 23, maybe, um, it was in 2004. And when I saw the painting, there was, it's a girl before a mirror that uh, external per- girl is like kind of, um, polished and put together. And, you know, she's like, has makeup on or whatever. And the inside is just this sort of purple and it's this, um, like these deep colors and it's really kind of distorted. And that's how I felt when I looked at it, I felt like my inside wasn't matching my outside, that I was filled with sort of pain. And so by the end of the book, I sort of start making my own art. And so I I uh, did a collage mixed media work based off of the girl in the mirror. And so that's kind of where it started. And then I have a designer, Rachel Lapwit, who's brilliant, who did the layout for the book. And she did the um, you know, the typology and the um placement of the artwork and all of that. Um so
0: is two two part answer. Now I'm gonna pivot back to uh something you said in your introduction uh you own a, a small business uh that uh, helps uh, art teachers are you an art teacher yourself or do you just own a business that uh helps art teachers
1: i am a former art teacher so okay. yeah i yeah i started my career as a museum educator then i went into the classroom And when I went into the classroom, I realized like the way I wanted to teach was kind of like how I taught in the museum, but there wasn't a lot of resources out there for actually uh, teaching art appreciation and art history. So I decided to create the resource that I had been looking for. And that's where my business, Art Class Curator, came from.
0: Is your memoir self-published, traditionally published, or published by a hybrid press?
1: Uh, It's hybrid.
0: Okay. What was the name of the publisher?
1: Um, compassionate mind collaborative and
0: okay.
1: c- cannot recommend working with her, uh, Heather Doyle Fraser, highly enough. Like it was, I don't think this book would e- be even a fraction of how good it, it ended up being, um, without Heather's, um, work. Cause she, she used to work in traditional publishing as a development editor and, um, her suggestions and ideas are brilliant. And she's able to really see, who you are and be able and able to help you pull out, um, things that you didn't even know you could do. Like this book has filled with poetry and I haven't written a poem since I was a kid, but I used to write write tons of poems. And she was like, one day she was like, what do you think about adding poetry to your book? And I kind of freaked out because I, um, I hadn't written a poem in 20 years, but I went back through my writing and I'm like, oh, I have been writing poems this whole time. They were just wrapped up as paragraphs. There were prose. Um, And so she was just able to notice these things that I didn't notice about myself. So it was a really, really wonderful experience.
0: How has writing your memoir changed you as a person?
1: Oh, wow. It's changed me in so many different ways. I have always been like a really quick action taker type of person where, you know, I get an idea and I do it and I get an idea and I do it. And that's how, that's what running an online business has been. It's like, I just get to act on my ideas and I get to do it really quickly, but with writing a book, you can't just have an idea and put it out there within 24 hours. Like I normally do. I actually had to really um, become more committed to the overall process of writing. And um, that really, allowed me to um slow down allowed me a lot more peace it allowed me to um I started making art again which I hadn't made in 20 years besides like for my classroom you know like the like examples for my classroom or whatever I didn't actually make my own art for a very long time and I sort of have taken that um that commitment to the process and letting the process guide the work um into other areas of my life and it has been pretty uh pretty amazing. I made that I I have a writing group. So if you work with Heather at compassionate Mind Collaborative, there's a uh she has a a writing group basically every day and I made the decision I was like this book's not going to get re- written if I don't make the commitment to show up to that every time every every single day whether I feel like it or not and that has been really revolutionary because I just, um, I know, cause I used to just wait for inspiration to strike and then I would write. Now I know I ha- kind of have to be there every day for that inspiration to kind of know, know what to glom onto. Um, yeah, it's just, and having something physical I can hold this, like all this stuff I've made in my career has been all digital and it's been, it's been amazing. And I, I'm really proud of everything I've created, but this, having this This book, um, it feels like nothing else I've ever felt. I don't know the the pride I feel in it. It's amazing.
0: What are some major differences between how you approach writing a book and how you approach creating various forms of artwork?
1: Oh, that's that's a great question. It actually is very similar, and and it and I learned that it was similar. Um, along the way, because I didn't make art for a really long time because I thought that, and it it doesn't make any sense that I thought this because I've, you know, my degree is in art history, my undergraduate degree is in art history, and I've been a museum educator and art teacher. I've been helping people connect with art for my whole career. I've been connecting with art my whole career. I know a lot about artists and how they work, but for some reason I thought that to be an artist, I had to have um, the idea first. And then I had to then just make the idea appear on the, on the canvas or whatever, like that I had to start with the idea and then make it happen. Um, but that, but I learned through writing this book, like this book, when I started was not a memoir. It was like an art education book. It was going to be about how to help other people connect with work of works of art. And it wasn't going to be, I was going to use myself kind of as an example here and there, but it was not, going to be a memoir. It was very different. and um, but I learned through showing up every day to writing practice that if I lean into the process, then I know that I can, um, that like the magic will happen and that it will unfold as it, as it, as it will, and as it, as it's meant to. And so when I started to make art again, I allowed myself to lean into the process. I just, decided to show up at my my art desk that I created and just l- do whatever felt like the right thing to do instead of um, expecting perfection right out of the gate. Like I was expecting this like perfect idea to show up and then I just create this perfect thing, but that's not how writing a book is and that's not how making art is either. And so it's, they have been really um processes. And I did this, all of my art to start in an art journal and I finished the first draft of my book like within a couple of weeks of finishing the my first art journal and so it was they were really processes that devel- developed together um very similar in very similar ways it's just allowing the allowing the process to unfold.
0: You uh, mentioned that uh, your book was originally supposed to be an art education nonfiction book, and it became a memoir nonfiction book. Uh, At what point did you realize your book was going to be a memoir and not an art education uh, textbook of sorts?
1: Yeah, it was my first one-on-one session with Heather from Fashion of Mind Collaborative. I had been in her writing group for a while and I had written 50,000 words by the time I, I like hired her to like help publish the book. Um, I had written 50,000 words. I show up and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm almost done. You know, I was like, this is, this is like, I've got a, I've got a whole book here almost. And um, I just, you know, need some help figuring out what to do next or whatever. And she started, we started to talk about it. And within that first call, she asked these clarifying questions about, you know, what I wanted people to get out of it and um, who I wanted to read it and what I, you know, what I wanted to happen when they read it and all this stuff. And I realized in that call that I had written half of two books. <laughs> the first half was, uh, very art education. It was very, it was very explainy. There was like a chapter on like appropriation. There was a chapter on gender. There's all this, like, there's all this stuff. And then the second half was examples of this deep connection that's possible, um, with art, but it was still very academic. Like there was a lot of, a lot more like references and a lot more, you know, pulling from research and things like that. And, but what I really truly wanted when someone reads my book was I wanted them to feel the connection that I feel to art. And I wanted them to feel the power of it. And you can, you can't have them feel the power of it by telling them it's powerful. You have to actually show them it. So we realized that really the last half of my book was the right direction. It still needed a lot um, to kind of take out a lot of that academic stuff and then, and then format it as a memoir. But I think by the end of that one hour call, we realized we kind of came to the conclusion together that this was a memoir that I was writing. Um, and once I knew that, uh, yeah, it became a lot easier to write. It became a lot, cause it was really kind of, confu- it was kind of confusing to me when I was writing it at that point. Um, because it felt, it did, that tension between what it was trying to do and what it was actually doing was very different, so.
0: Why is it important to take art out of lecture halls and into the hearts, minds, and lives of everyone?
1: Yeah, that's, I love that question. Um, yeah, it's a lot of people have these views of what art is and what, who art is for. And um, most people, you know, I, I used to do this activity when I was teaching, I used to teach community college and I would do this activity with my students where they would have to personify uh, an art museum. So they would have to like write a little essay about if an art museum or a person, what would that person be like? and that was a really amazing answer but it was always like they're rich they're snobby they're you know they're like hipster they're like too they they think they're too good for you like it was all that kind of stuff and i'm like that is a a really predominant view of what art is about and the, a lot of people think that they are missing something too like that that they're missing some gene or some Um, a bit of knowledge or something that they just don't get art and they never will because they're not, they don't have the right something. They're missing something. And I've learned in my career through working with people of all ages that everybody has the ability to, to connect with art and everyone has the ability to interpret it. Everyone has the ability to get something out of it. Everyone has the ability to enjoy it, but they just don't ever give themselves those chances. And they also Um, view art as this thing that they have to learn about and they view art and artists as people and things that are above them and that if they don't like it, then they're not good enough. And to me, that's not what art is and that's not what it ever has been about. And so I want to show people that there's another way (laughs) that you don't have to, that art artists are people too. They're humans just like everyone else. And that the art that they make is, is, an expression of that humanity, that basic thing that we all share. Um, and so it's, I like to kind of take art off the pedestal and, and, you know, even when, when they teach art history and in, in college, they like, you know, it's in a dark room and you just kind of look up at these dark slides and then someone's just talking and that's not, that's not how you engage with art. It's not how, you know, it's not how you listen to music. That's not how you, um, read books. Like you, 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 bring yourself into the process when you read a book and you bring yourself into the process when you listen to music. And I think a lot of people aren't bringing themselves into the experience when they're looking at art. And so um, um, I'm trying to change that and help people see the power of art.
0: How has your relationship with art changed throughout your life?
1: Hmm. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was, I just knew that it was, Something I needed, and I knew, like I love to draw, and I love to um, make things, and I love. But I lived in a small town, and we didn't have. Well, we did have an art museum. I just didn't. I didn't know until later that it existed. Um, and the only the only art that I had was Disney movies, and so you know I grew up with the generation where like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King. That was my that was those were my childhood movies. Lion King came out. Um, when I was in the eighth grade and I watched it 12 times at the movie theater. And it, it just had this, I just would look at it. I would watch that opening scene, the circle of life. And I would cry every single time, the the sky opened up and like shined down when Rafiki was holding up Simba, like every time it would make me cry. So I knew that like art had this ability to, to move me in ways that I couldn't be moved in my life in general, because a lot of us Grew up in times where feelings and emotions were not um, very well accepted in our households. Um, in the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, like we didn't talk about feelings, we didn't talk about things that made you different. We, you know, none of that. N- none of that. And so I would stuff in all my emotions. But when I was with art, I felt safe to feel things. So even when I then when, when I did discover that real art existed, <laughs> I would. I would just feel moved and I would feel like like the the closest I've ever really gotten to a really truly spiritual experience. It was just like this connection with my humanity and everything. And that really has not changed at all. Um, I still am that way. Uh I still have those same experiences. I think there, there has I just understand them more now and I. And I, um, I know to give into them. like, I don't, I don't get freaked out by those experiences. And then also like there was a period of time where I, art was my job. And so it became like, I kind of felt a little bit more removed from it. So there was a period of time where I would look at art and it would be like, oh, this, I would look at it through the lens of how am I going to teach it, um, and that that was kind of when I started to get disconnected to art, and then I I, um, I kind of reconnected back when I realized that was happening. Happening, I couldn't I couldn't look at art the way I always have, and I also couldn't write anymore either. And so those were some like big red flags there. I was like, there's something wrong here. These two things that have always been a part of who I am, I can't do anymore. Um, so it's kind of like I've used art as a as a as a, a guidepost or a um. Uh, yeah, I guess guidepost is the best word I can think of right now for it. There's another word that I can't quite get, but it'll come to me in about an hour.
0: <laughs> that happens to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh my final question, what does the creative process teach us about life? Oh gosh, I,
1: I could probably talk about that for an hour. I would say my first thought is to not take things quite so seriously. The creative process is engaged in various serious things, it's serious thoughts and emotions and fears, and it brings up all the things, but that it I think I know that when I'm engaged in my creativity, whether it's writing or whether it's making art um, or even experiencing other people's art, you know, going to the theater or, or listening to music or whatever it is, or reading like those, those instances are when I feel the most at peace as someone who's always had um, a certain degree of anxiety, um, depression too. Mostly anxiety has been my main dr- main thing through my life, but I don't feel anxious when I make art and I, I don't feel anxious when I, when I look at art and I engage in art, it's like, it's like the, the problems of the world kind of melt away. And it, I, I think it just shows me what's truly important. Um, and it allows me to be present and mindful. And I think that's probably why I'm not anxious because I'm not stewing on what's next or I'm not stewing on something that happened last week or what's going to happen next week is that I'm truly here in this moment, um, doing something with my mind and my body that is, um, kind of fully engrossing. Um, and so I would say, yeah, just, it teaches like a presence and a mindfulness that, I think, you know, a lot of research has, has shown to be like uh, a secret to a happy, happy life, you know, is when you can stay in the present. Um, and then we'll see. Yeah, I guess, I I think I'm happy with that. I think it it could probably, I could probably tell you a couple more reasons, but it's probably things I've already said (laughs) answers to other questions.
0: Cindy, you were an amazing guest for the Heartland Author Podcast, and I thank you for appearing on here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: I always enjoy interviewing creative people like Cindy. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding you all to write your imagination. Bye for now. You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at CampAaronApollo.Whitsite.com forward slash Author AAC. You can follow me on Facebook at Author AAC and on Instagram at AACScribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, All Rights Reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty free music and sound effects obtained from HTTPS colon forward, slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.